Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Well, take your Bible and turn to the entire four Gospels. We are looking at a seven-part sermon this morning. Yeah, I have uh, three seminary students that I'm doing field work with, and I tell them, never do more than three at a max four points. And then the week after we do that, we're looking at a seven-point sermon here this morning. But we're going to look at the seven last words of Christ. The last words of people are fairly important. They tell you a lot about that person, tell you their, their view of life, their sense of humor, uh, who they were, uh, comes out more in those times than any other. I want to tell you some of the, the last words of people. Bing Crosby was told, uh, you don't need to play 18 holes of golf ever again. Your heart is too bad. It will kill you if you do it. Nine's the max. Well, immediately the next day, Bing went out with uh, three of his best friends, played 18 holes of golf as they were walking back into the clubhouse, had a massive heart attack, and his paramedics were working on him. One of his friends said, we knew this was wrong. We shouldn't have done the 18 holes. And his last words as he grabbed his friend's hands was, ah, but it was a great 18 holes of golf, wasn't it? That tells you a lot about the person just hearing what they had to say. Actor Vic Morrow said, I should have called a stunt double in for this one. Uh, Those were the last words that he had. And then there's some sad ones. Joan Crawford, when a friend began to pray before she died, said, please don't ask God to help me. I want no help from him at all. And uh, so uh, the last words tell us a lot about a person. Well, we're going to look at the seven last sayings of Jesus this morning, but we're going to look at them to find something very particular. How did Jesus deal with pain, suffering, and hurt? And his seven last words tell us a lot about that. Uh, As we're finishing this sermon series on missing pieces, uh, one of the things that we often miss is when life is tough, when bad things happen to us, how do we respond and how do we act? And we're going to look at the seven last sayings of Jesus and find out how Jesus did that. And hopefully it will be an encouragement and a direction for us as well. The first last saying of Jesus is Luke 23, verse 34. And as we look at that and we think, how did Jesus respond to hurt here? What I see is this. Forgive whoever has hurt you. Forgive whoever has hurt you. In Luke 23, what we see is that Jesus has been condemned to death. The Roman soldiers have taken him. They have flogged him mercilessly. He's in unbelievable pain. They then mock him, laugh at him, spit at him. And now they're at the the hill on Mount Calvary. They're literally nailing the nails into his hands and feet. And he looks at the soldiers who are doing this. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, that would probably be our last reaction to someone that was hurting us. If someone's hurting you, if someone's hurting your family, you want to hurt them back. You want to, you're angry at them. You hate them. You surely don't come with, Father, forgive them. But it's interesting. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He almost is pleading, 
temporary insanity. They're blinded by sin. They grew up in an environment where they've never heard about about me and they don't know what's going on here. They don't understand who I am. They don't know one day they're going to stand before me in judgment. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. When someone has hurt you, you can say, well, they don't know what they're doing, but maybe they even knew what they were doing. But they too have been blinded by sin. And what we need to understand is when it comes to forgiving others, it's very, very hard. Especially if what they did have caused you pain, has hurt you, and has hurt people that you love. It's hard to forgive somebody that's done that. We do it for a couple of different reasons. We don't do it because they deserve it. We're not saying what they did was okay. We're not saying uh, that it didn't matter or that it didn't hurt us. But what we're saying is, I am no longer going to let this define who I am. I'm not going to let the punishment you deserve for this be something that's carried on. I forgive you as God forgave me. You know, sometimes when you don't forgive someone, the person that's hurt the most is you. Uh, I had a friend tell me a story a, a while back uh, about one of his best friends from high school, and he was talking to him uh, at a reunion that they had. And he said, hey, you know, he said, this guy was telling me I worked in this small business. It was taken over by another company. Uh, times got really hard, and I thought the only way I'm going to make it through this is that I've got a real good friend that I work with. I came into work that day, and he had quit. Wasn't even there. Didn't even tell me. And I felt deserted. I felt angry. And then I found out that I had to take a a loss of pay. Things were really tough at work. And then a couple of years later, after being angry at him every day, I happened to see that man. And when he tried to talk to me, he said, hey, what's wrong? And I said, what's wrong? You left me out to dry. You left me. You didn't even tell me you were leaving. I have been angry at you for two years every single day. And he looked at me and he said, I'm so sorry. I mean, the company was going under. I got a good job offer. I just took care of my family. I never even knew you were angry. He'd been angry at this man for two years, and the man didn't even know he was angry at him. But it had eaten him up. It had defined his life. It had made every day at work miserable. And when we don't forgive people, we suffer as much as they do. And so Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They hadn't asked for forgiveness. They didn't deserve forgiveness, but we're forgiven in the same way by Jesus. So as we look at problems and troubles and how Jesus answered them, Jesus forgave those who hurt him. The second last saying of Jesus, as we look at that and we think, what can we learn from it? Is you, when problems and troubles come, you need to get your mind off yourself and start thinking about other people. Get your mind off yourself and start thinking about others. Uh, In that same passage of Scripture in Luke 23, we're told that after they'd put Jesus up on the cross, that there were two people who were crucified with him. One of them begins to mock Jesus and say, save us, save yourself. But the other one says, don't talk that way. We deserve this punishment. This man doesn't. And then he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And that's when Jesus said these words. He said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, if there was ever a time that somebody should have been thinking about themselves and their own needs, it's when you're suffering and dying in the way that Jesus was. He's being executed in the most graphic and painful way that you could be executed. But even here on the cross, Jesus takes his mind off of himself and puts it on another person. 
which is what the cross was all about anyway. What was the cross about? Dying for the sins of the world. And so as Jesus is on the cross, instead of thinking about himself and his own suffering, he thinks about this man and his salvation, and he tells him that today he was going to be with him in paradise. There was recently a study at the University of uh, uh, Exeter Medical School in England, and they said that people who are severely depressed, that, that help another person, 92% of them get significantly better almost immediately. Now, think about that again. People who are severely depressed that do something to help another person, 92% of them are immediately made better in their depression and anxiety. Why? Because what generally happens is that all we're thinking about is ourself and our problem and our hurt, and it becomes overwhelming. And it becomes depressing and we become anxious because of it, because our problems and troubles are knocking us down. But when you stop thinking about yourself for a second and you help another person, then you feel good about helping them. You you feel better about who you are and where you are. And suddenly everything has been lifted. Jesus got his mind off himself and his problems and was willing to help another person in your problems. Finding someone worse off than you, doing something to care for another person is something that you can do to lift where you are and to help you. We recently had a lady in our church, Debbie Barlow, that passed away. Uh, Debbie had cancer. Uh, She was head of our prayer ministry here at church. And I told this at her funeral, but uh, about three weeks before she died, uh, I heard Debbie in the office. And so I came out and I went went to talk to her and I said, hey, what's up? And she said, well, I came in to get a list of people who are in the hospital so I could go visit them today. And I said, are, are you feeling better today? And she said, no, it's a, it's a terrible day. I just feel awful. And I said, well, Debbie, why don't you go back home and rest? And she looked at me and she said, Chip, I might only have two, three weeks left to live. If I've got one day I can get out of bed and help another person, I'm going to do it till the day I die. Now, that's a faith that you're no longer centered on yourself. You're centered on another person. That's what Jesus did. That helps push us out of the problems that may be consuming us. The third of Jesus' last words is over in John chapter 19. And when it comes to to, uh, looking at our problems and troubles and how to deal with them, we need to be taking extra care for our families. Taking extra care for our families. Jesus is on the cross. It's in the middle of his crucifixion, that that terrible middle section that that there's still a long way to go and the suffering and the pain is intense. And as he's dying on the cross there, Jesus looks down and he sees his mother and his mother is crying. Man, think about how Mary feels. See, Jesus knows what's going on. He knows that he's on the cross to pay for the sins of the world, but Mary doesn't know that. All Mary knows was this was a miracle birth. Uh, This child has been, I've been told by angels, is the Messiah of God. He's done unbelievable things and now he's, he's dying. But more than that, it's my baby. My baby's hurting and suffering and dying and there's nothing I can do about it. And so Mary begins to weep at the foot of the cross. And Jesus looks down at his mother as he's suffering. And he looks at her and he says, 
these words. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Now, this is what he did. He looks at Mary and he says, Mom. And then he points at, the, at, at John, the disciple who is there. John, the youngest of the disciples. And he says, Mom, this is now your son. I'm not going to be able to be there to take care of you. And so, Mom, this is your son. And then he looks at John and he says, John, she's now your mom. Take care of my mama. On the cross, Jesus cared about taking care of his family. You see, sometimes when you've got problems and troubles and they hit you, all we can think about is ourselves. But when you're hurting and when you're in pain, there's a whole lot of collateral damage that goes along with it. And, and the damage is generally hit the most by your closest family members and friends. Your children, children suffer when the parents are, no matter how much they try to insulate them from us. Your, your mother and your father, your siblings, your best friends. But sometimes the people who suffer the most when you're hurting is the people that love you the most, your spouse. Because they're going through it with you. You know, they're suffering more sometimes even than you are. Because if you're a spouse, you love them so much and you want to take the pain away and you want to help them, but there's just nothing that you can do. I'm a part of a Linton small group here in our, our uh, uh, that we do here at church. And uh, somebody in that group was talking the other day, I'm a fixer and I like taking care of problems. And when something happens, I, I immediately take care of it. And then my husband got sick and there was nothing I could do. And I suddenly felt so helpless because I wanted to do so much, but there was nothing I could do. You see, when someone is hurting, their family members are hurting as well. And so if you're a person here that's been struggling and going through a lot, then I want you to look around at your family members and appreciate them a little bit. And I was thinking about how could we visibly show that appreciation? Well, you know, one thing we're going to do, today's the last day that you can order Easter lilies. Man, if your spouse has put up with your sorry self so long, maybe what you need to be doing is getting an Easter lily in their honor. Okay? You all put up with me too, okay? And, uh, and so, you know, put out an Easter lily in honor of my spouse for putting up with me. You don't have to put that part in there. You can just put it in honor of them. You know, I'm going to get you an Easter lily. You know, you do more than that. Take them out to a nice dinner. Take them to a show. Let them know you appreciate all that they have done. A fourth thing is Jesus is dying on the cross. And that same John 19 passage that is so important when we're hurting is to admit that you're hurting in the first place. Admit that you are hurting in the first place. Here in John chapter 19, it's near the end of, of Jesus' life. It's right before he dies. And he says he knows the scripture has to be fulfilled. And because he knows the scripture has to be fulfilled, he says, I thirst. That's quoting Psalm 69, verse 21. And after he says, I thirst, they, they give him the drink. And then Jesus goes into what would be the last moments of his life. Jesus recognized that the Messiah was supposed to suffer and hurt. I mean, there's a whole portion of the book of Isaiah that we call the suffering servant. And here on the cross, Jesus recognizes he is hurting, he is in pain, he is suffering, he is thirsting. 
If you really want God to be with you and help you in your problems, you first have to admit your problems hurt and are getting the best of you. And we don't like to do that. We don't like to do it because we like to feel like we're always in charge. We like to feel like uh, we want to put on this false facade that everything's okay. I mean, you walk into church, you would never know anybody in church has a problem. You look around this room, we're all dressed nice and looking good and on our best behavior. You know, uh, how many times when my kids were younger did, did uh, we throw them in the minivan and, and, and yell and scream and fight with one another, you know, uh, you know, until we got to church and then you open the van doors and step out and suddenly the perfect little Christian family comes, comes out. Nobody would have known the 15 minutes of purgatory we had trying to get to church before we got there. And so just to admit that you're hurting, you don't have to be perfect all the time. To admit that sometimes life gets the best of you because God can't do anything with you until that happens. Elijah the prophet was so close to God, he never died. And Elijah had his greatest experience with God when he finally had enough and stood out of that cave and said, Lord, everything you told me was a lie. Since I started following you, it got worse. Everybody hates me. Everybody wants to kill me. I'm fed up with it. I'm fed up with you. And I wish I was dead. And God looked at Elijah the prophet and he said this. Ah, that's something I can deal with. If you're going to act like you're not hurting, if you're going to act like there's no problem, if you're going to think I shouldn't feel that way, I can't do anything to help you. But when you tell me exactly how you feel, then I can help you with that. And so here is Jesus admitting that he's hurting. The next thing, the fifth of the seven last words, as we look at how to handle life's troubles and problems, is after you've admitted you're hurting, you've got to be willing to have a time where you wrestle with God a little bit. There will be a time of wrestling with God when you admit you're hurting because you're going to wonder, where's God? Why is he not doing something? Why hasn't he shown up? And you have to be willing to wrestle with God. In both Matthew 27 and Mark 15, we have this uh, same with the seven last words of Jesus. And so Jesus is on the cross. At 12 noon, darkness came over the land. Eerie, creepy darkness. Every, uh, the madness kind of stops. People are wondering what's going on here. Three hours later, after the darkness has settled in, people are, are finally getting a little more at ease at a time when the person should be at their weakest and should have no energy left. Suddenly, Jesus pops up on the cross, raises himself up, and we're told with a loud cry, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And everybody's immediately jerked out of, their, out of their slumber and they look up at the cross. Now, it's actually translated in Matthew and Mark from the Aramaic because he wanted you to see what was being said. Jesus says, Eloi, which means my God. But it also sounds like Elijah. And so they said, well, maybe he's calling for Elijah the prophet to come and save him. And, and others said, well, let's just leave him alone. But for those who heard him right, they take those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And they begin to think, it's a cry of desperation. He's suffering, he's hurting, he believed in God, God has forsaken him, and this is a cry of utter despair upon the cross. 
except it wasn't a cry of utter despair. Jesus is fulfilling exactly what Scripture was said was going to happen. And he is quoting here from Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is a psalm of David, and it's a very interesting psalm. It starts with David in agony, questioning God. And I want to read you the beginning of Psalm 22, just verses 1 and 2 there. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, David says. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I've cried out to you all day long, and you never answer. I have cried and yelled to you all night, and you have just stayed silent. Jesus is quoting that on the cross. And it sounds like utter despair. But what happens in Psalm 22 is that David goes into a struggle with God where he doesn't understand what happens to him. He doesn't understand why it's hurting so much, but he keeps going back to the fact, well, God must love me. God's done all these things in the past. God's always been with me. And he keeps going back and forth until we get to verse 24. And in verse 24, he says, now I know you will not despise Or disdain my suffering. You have not hidden your face from him. You've listened to my cry for help. Psalm 22 is a man who struggles with God in his hurt. Until he finds God's peace and presence. And that's what Jesus was saying on the cross. When problems and troubles come. And you finally get around to admitting you're hurting. Then sometimes... That's when the struggle with God takes place. Okay, Lord, where are you? Why aren't you doing anything? Why is it hurting so bad? And we begin to doubt, does God love me? Does God even exist? Does God care? And you have to go into that struggle with God. But when you do, it begins to change everything. Former youth minister at our church, Nathan Bedford, uh, a lot of you remember Nathan. He used to uh, say, it's time to have a come to Jesus meeting. Anybody remember that? Uh, yeah, several of you. Know, uh, Nathan would have the, his come to Jesus meetings every once in a while. Well, every once in a while, you and God need to have a come to Jesus meeting where you just come down and you lay it all out on the line and say, this is how I feel and it hurts and it's not fair and where are you? And then God can begin to take that and move you where you need to be. You ever heard anybody say you shouldn't feel that way when you say something? And I've talked about this before. To me, that's one of the silliest things you could ever say to somebody. You shouldn't feel that way. Well, I'm sorry. I do feel that way. The problem isn't how you feel. That's just truth and real and being real. The problem is what am I going to do with how I feel? Am I going to get bitter with God? Am I going to hate God? Am I going to give up? Or in my pain, am I going to turn to God for my help and comfort? And so we begin to look at the world differently as we go into that struggle, that wrestling with God. That brings us to the sixth of seven last words of Jesus. And what we learn from it is this, never stop fighting and don't give up hope. In your problems and troubles, never stop fighting and don't give up hope. So we're still back in John 19 again. It's at the very end. Uh, it's right just, just literally a minute or so before Jesus dies He knows that the scripture has been fulfilled. He knows everything that he was supposed to do has been accomplished. And upon the cross, he looks out at all of those who are gathered 
And he says these words. It's finished. It's finally over. Did what I was supposed to do. Fought the good fight. Finished the course. Ran the race. It's finished. You see, when problems and troubles hit you in life, you can learn from those last words. See it through to the end. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. Because one day, like Jesus, you'll look back and say, it's finally finished. You know, the Apostle Paul compares life to a marathon race. And he says, every day you're getting closer to the finish line where you're going to get the reward. But there's a lot of struggle in getting to the finish line. The, the church that Dawn and I uh, uh, were at in Owensboro uh, when we pastored there, we had a guy in the church who was a professional uh, triathlete. And he went around the world doing that. Uh, he was like a crazy guy. I'd see, him, I'd see him at Sunday school and I'd say, hey, what have you been doing today? And he said, well, I got up at 4.30 in the morning and I rode my bicycle to Morganfield and back to Owensboro. And I said, how far is that? And he said, it's about 55 miles each way. And I said, you did that this morning? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I woke up 25 minutes ago and ate a Pop-Tart in my car on the way to church, you know, or something like that. Yeah. But he told me that when you're in one of those, you know, races, that you're physically able to do it. You've trained. The problem is your mind. And he said, the mind is something that comes and goes. That you'll start out, and in the first half mile, you'll immediately hit a wall. I mean, right when you start, and you'll think, this isn't going to work. I'm going to drown in the river, you know, here or something. And, and you hit that wall, but then you get through it. And then maybe an hour and a half later, thoughts start coming back again. Why are you doing this? You're crazy. And he said, throughout the race, there's times of, I feel great. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to win this by a mile and take over the world. And there's also times in the same race, you're thinking, this is insane. It's not going to happen. I just need to give up. That's what life is like in the marathon that you're running. There will be times that you're going full speed and feel like, man, nothing can stop me. And then there will feel times you start thinking, I'm just not going to make it. It's over. And you run the race to the end. You don't give up. Now, to do that, there's a couple of things you need to, to think about and to remember in life. And uh, that brings us to the last thing that we see. The very last words of Jesus on the cross are recorded in Luke 23. After he says, I'm finished, after everybody is looking up, Jesus looks up to the sky and he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus, to the very end, kept his faith in God and turned all of his problems over to him. If you want to get through your problems and troubles in life, the key is going to be this, to stop seeing God as the cause of your problems and to start seeing God as the solution to your problem. What happens is when troubles hit, we want to blame God for our problems. <laughs> Lord, why aren't you doing something? Why didn't you help? Where were you? Why does it hurt so bad? And we want to blame God. And we've already talked, man, this is a tough world. We're, we live on a fallen planet with fallen people and we're fallen. We have an enemy. You're going to have problems and troubles in this world. God is not the cause of your problems. He's the solution. And when problems and troubles hit, to look to God and to say, 
you're where I need to run to to help, that's going to make all the difference in the world. To do that, you've got to believe a few things. You've got to believe God loves you. In the midst of your troubles and hurt, still believe God loves you. The second thing is when problems and troubles come, to believe that God is the one that's going to help you through them. And then the last thing to believe when problems and troubles come is that this is not the perfect world that it's supposed to be. There's a better world to come than this one. For some people, their problems and troubles aren't going to end until the day they die. But when they die, God will raise them up in power and in glory. To hang in there with God, to believe he's the help, that he is not the cause of your problems. Seven last words of Jesus. They tell us a lot about him and how he withstood problems and troubles. Teach us a lot about how to handle problems and troubles in life. Michael and Linda Joyce live in New Zealand. And uh, Michael developed Alzheimer's about two years ago. Got progressively worse. His wife has cared for him lovingly during those two years. It got so bad that he finally didn't recognize his own wife for 34 years any longer. And she said it was devastating to her. The man she loved most on planet Earth didn't even know who she was anymore. But she just kept in there, kept loving him, kept doing what she could, kept caring for his needs. And then a month or so ago, she was getting him his breakfast, sat down to eat hers, and said, Mike, do you need anything else before I start eating my breakfast? And he looked at her with tears in his eyes, and he said, what's your name? And she said, Linda. And he said, Linda, I was sitting here thinking... You are so good to me. You always take care of me. You're there every morning to make my breakfast. And she said, that's right, honey. And she pats him on the hand. And he looked at her again and he said, and you were beautiful. You were so beautiful. I'd be a crazy man if I didn't marry you. Do you want to get married and she said she, you know, didn't want to tell him what we're already married. Been so a long time. And she just patted him on the hand and said, sure, we'll get married. Well, he got this in his mind. He wouldn't get it out. For a month, every day at breakfast, he'd say, are we going to get married or not? You're beautiful. I love you. Marry me. Until finally, guess what Linda did? Okay, let's get married. So they held a big celebration, called all of their friends. It's a picture of, of Michael and Linda there at, their, at their, wed, their second wedding. And when it was over, Michael, who could barely talk at that point, did the thumbs up and said, I've never been happier. I've found the love of my life. They talked to Linda later, and this is what she said. At first, it broke my heart that he didn't even know who I was anymore. But then it made my heart sing because he still loved me. He still chose me all over again. Their pastor said that Linda had come and prayed many, many times that somehow her husband would come back. And he said he told her every time they would pray, you know he's not going to get any better. But that was a small grace of God 
that love that was still there. We're going to have problems and troubles in life. But in them all, there is the grace of God that will see us through. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you give us grace in the midst of our troubles. They can sometimes be so overwhelming. But to know that you're there, that you love us, that you're going to see us through, gives us the strength and encouragement to go on. Help us to believe and live that. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we covered a lot of things this morning, and, and so the first part of the invitation is just for you to think about the seven last words and say, what's the one I need the most this day? What do I need to hear as I encounter my troubles and problems? And just hold on to that. During this time, you can just come and pray at this altar. We talked about one of the things you need to do is just to be able to release where you are and say, I'm hurting. You can come and pray at the altar here. We've got ministers that would love to pray with you. Just give your problems and troubles to God this morning. You can come say, I want to join this church and be a part of what this church is doing. And the most important thing you will ever do is say, I want God in my life. Come down and say, I want to accept him as Lord and Savior. I want to follow him in baptism. This is your time, though, your opportunity as we stand together and we sing.
hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.